אז ישיר משה ובני ישראל את השירה הזאת לאדוני ויאמרו לאמור. I looked back at my old sermons and I think I probably sung some piece of Exodus 15, the song of the sea, to you every year that I've been at Solel and I've decided I'm not stopping now. First of all, it brings me joy. It is, after all, only once in a Torah cycle that we get to hear the special melody assigned to this musical interlude in the Exodus story. And second, because I think it's important to be reminded year after year of the power of this moment, the jubilant musical exaltation that the feeling of finally reaching true freedom can evoke. This people, our people, whose memories hold only enslavement, cruelty, injustice, and fear, have at last reached safety from Egypt on the other side of the sea. As Yashir Moshe, then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song, to the Eternal One. Now, as much as our people's song of freedom is worth singing, it is also worth unpacking. I spoke last week about how this section of the Israelites' story always feels a little complicated, bringing us face-to-face -face with God's simultaneous redemptive power and a little vindictiveness and with the human cost of our own freedom. The song of the sea is no different. The image of the beleaguered Israelites safe and dry on the far shore erupting into song is indeed beautiful. And also, have you taken a look at the lyrics? Pharaoh's chariots and his army God has cast into the sea and the pick of his officers are drowned. In your great triumph, you break your opponents. You send forth your fury. It consumes them like straw. This song is not just some glory, glory, hallelujah, feel-good anthem. It's a battle song, an elevation of the Israelite God as supremely powerful, a celebration of the destruction of an enemy people, not exactly the themes that always take the first spot on my usual playlists. The beauty of the Song of the Sea, in my mind, comes not necessarily from the song and the words themselves, but from the way they have been rewritten, repurposed, and renewed. The song's power comes in the way it shows us how the Jewish people have always been engaged in this process of reinterpreting the words and ideas of their ancestors, as we saw even tonight in that beautiful poem, that they might channel their depths of meaning while remaining true to the truths of their own times and identities. A perfect example of this phenomenon lies in the most famous line of this song, which we know as a central piece of our weekly or even daily prayer services, the Micha Mocha. 
If you feel like the familiar words of our prayer have stopped in the middle of a sentence, that's because they have. As our rabbinic ancestors crafted the prayer service, they made some very deliberate choices about which lyrics would serve as testaments to the God they wanted to worship. Who is like you among the divine beings, O eternal one? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in splendor, working wonders? Well, that part sounds nice. The rest of the line, You put out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. That one, they leave on the cutting room floor. What emerges from the original Song of the Sea is a new song of redemption, one which blurs away the militaristic god of Exodus and turns instead to more abstract ideas about power, freedom, and gratitude. This is far from the only time that Jewish liturgy, ritual, or custom will sample from an original song and reinterpret it. We see it on Slichot and in the liturgy of the High Holidays, Adonai, Adonai, El Rachum Vechanun, channeling the themes of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, themes of forgiveness and teshuva, repentance and return. Our ancestors chose to recite Moses' 13th attributes of God, conveniently truncating the final verse so that God is portrayed as always ready to forgive, while in the original text, not so much. We see it in one of the daily morning prayers, friend to bar and bat mitzvah students the world over, Yotzer Or. Did you know the opening line of this prayer? Yotzer Or uvorei choshech, osei shalom, uvorei et hakol, creator of light and darkness, maker of peace and creator of all, comes from the book of Isaiah except for one very small detail. The original text describes God as maker of peace and creator of evil, an idea our rabbinic liturgists could not stomach. So they, once again, altered, softened the words. We even see this interpretive bent in the ways our holidays and traditions have evolved. I'm thinking particularly about Tubishvat, which falls this Sunday night through Monday. Originally, this new year of the trees was simply meant as a way of counting the age of each plant so one would know when to eat its fruit. Then the Kabbalistic mystics got a hold of it and turned it into a rollicking night of ascending the various planes of being by drinking successively redder glasses of wine. And as Zionism emerged in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, Chubishvat evolved into a fundraiser 
for planting trees in the land of Israel. How many of you have a JNF tree planted in your name? There you go. Now, as we see more and more the devastating impact of climate change on our world, the holiday has become a lens through which we might mobilize and reflect on environmental justice. Judaism has always been a living, breathing, evolving tradition. Songs grow with the singers. Every generation has the chance to change the melody, the harmony, the very words themselves, or the contexts in which they're used. The heart of the song might stay the same. It will just become richer and more clear. And trees grow, their roots seeking out the best sources of water, flowers blooming and leaves falling in season, branches reshaping themselves against the elements or reaching toward the sun. People grow, too, in remarkable ways. What this song of the sea can teach us what Tu Bishvat can teach us, indeed what Judaism itself can teach us, is that we too can grow. Perhaps you have been singing yourself the same song for far too long about who you are, what you're worth, what you can or cannot achieve. Perhaps you've been singing that same song about someone else, who they are, what they're worth, what they can or cannot achieve. Those old songs hold great meaning. They expressed deep emotions, joy and freedom and maybe a little fear. But they can be changed to reflect your own changes. And maybe you aren't quite ready to let go. Maybe there is beauty still in those words that you repeat to yourself year after year or week after week or day after day. And that's okay. Maybe you just rework the final line or rewrite the context or alter just one note. Change does not need to be all-encompassing to be real. But to live real and authentic lives requires us to constantly ask ourselves how the songs within us ought to be sung and to adapt them when we hear our own answers. So this Shabbat of Bishalach, the Shabbat of sending forth to a song our people have sung and resung for thousands of years, I encourage you to allow yourself to change the words in your mind and in your life that need changing. I encourage you to see your Judaism as responsive, adaptable, and always expanding. And I pray that you might feel within yourself the power of a song, all the potential of a tree. You can change and still be beautiful. You can grow and still have roots. <laughs>